it is, is, ladies and gents. Happy Tuesday, and we're here to rock and roll with you guys. Another one. Uh, what about taking the moral high ground? What does that mean to you? Well, I know Ooh. what it's going to mean to our guests today, so here we go. Let's find out. Shut up and sit down. Okay. My name is Jeff Moore, and I am the author of ProfitWise, Find out what's working in business, on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Yeah, here we go, ladies and gents. Ham, drop the heat. Here we go. All right, all you business pros out there. Before we jump into the show, just a quick reminder to please subscribe on whichever platform it is that you're listening to us on today. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, drop a review, help other like-minded business business owners find value from our awesome guests while we rise up in those podcast rankings. We'll sincerely appreciate every single one of you for it. And if you want to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you on to learn from you as well. Go to www.businessbros.biz to schedule your time slot. Don't forget to follow us on all our social medias at Business Bros Pod. All right, everybody, we're so excited and honored to bring yet another incredible guest to the Business Bros Pod. Today's guest knows that making a ton of money isn't all that matters in life. While he has made a ton of money over the years, starting with a Subaru dealership in 1998 and moving on to build real estate, telecom, and insurance businesses that generate over $100 million a year in revenue, his greatest achievement is building those companies to be both profitable and ethical. Our guest believes in doing the right thing for as many people and beings as possible. He's a vegetarian. He's donated to his local humane societies and ecological organizations, planted trees and raised quail, supports his local scout troops, and has even gifted vehicles from his dealership to local rivers and watershed organizations. Money isn't the only thing that matters, but the more you make, the more you can give away. Tune in to learn how our guest has built all of these successful businesses and given back to his community time and time again. Joining us today out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Did I say Virginia? Was it North Carolina? <laughs> hey, whatever. The author of ProfitWise, How to Make Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing, and the host of the Moral High Ground podcast. Welcome to the show, Jeff Morrow. Thank you very much. I'm going to... <laughs> all right let's do this all right all right all right i messed uh, that up was it virginia or was it north carolina virginia okay yeah. cool i got it right the first time dang it <laughs> you're like second guessing yourself wait that's not how it I know. flows off the tongue right that's how it, it was it go. was it was there it, i i wrote it down and i still question myself anyway <laughs> Back to the show. All right, here we go, Jeff. Uh, first of all, taking the moral high ground. I love it when we have a play on words. Uh, our website, csfirst.com. Why? Because our last name is CS and it just it goes perfectly. Uh, yours kind of plays into what it is that you've developed as far as a, a, a life legacy, like, you know, doing things ethically, taking that moral high ground. Can you tell me, like, how, what does that mean to you and in, 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 in in, in how have you used that in your businesses? What I set out to do when my brother and I opened the first business, which was Planet Subaru in 1998, is to find a way that we could earn a really good living, but also support the other values that were important to us in our, in our lives. And 
my parents had always raised us to to think about our impacts on other people and how our decisions could improve other people's lives or or how our mistakes could could hurt other people. And we saw business as an opportunity to to make money, but also to do good things. And and I think the two of those things go together very nicely, which is the the two ideas are expressed in the title of the book, Profit Wise, that you can profit wisely, you can treat people well and still earn a really good living. And that's the the theme that I'm really hoping to to delve into tonight and and explore the ways that people can do that. I don't need to uh, I don't know that people need their arms twisted too hard on on being good to other people. That just seems pretty obvious. I guess maybe the the unexpected part of it that might surprise people is that if you you can actually make more money doing that if you do it the right way. Well, I think it has to do with the the shortcut to life, right? People are always chasing that shiny object or the easy way to do things. And that's not always the ethical or the moral way to, to get those things done. Um, you went into a car dealership, which is plagued with that whole idea of sleazy car salesman. How do you turn that uh, stereotype around and make things ethical and make things you know moral so that you are kind of practicing what you're talking about? Yeah, I think the the business actually offered us a lot of fertile ground from a marketing standpoint and operational standpoint to differentiate ourselves from the competition. And and generally for the for the benefit of your listeners who are are entrepreneurs, maybe they're thinking about opening a business or already operate small businesses, I, I would emphasize how important it is to distinguish yourself from the competition. What is the thing that makes you different? Why would someone want to do business with you instead of someone else? And for us, it was a, it was a, the business had such a terrible reputation. The car business, everybody knows, is full of shenanigans in the showroom, and and so many people have had terrible experiences buying cars. That, that we saw there was an opportunity there if we could offer something that was different and and straightforward, transparent, honest. That that would appeal to people. And, and that would give us a big marketing edge too, because it would allow us to talk about something other than just low price, you mm -hmm. know, which is, which is a very difficult uh, way to differentiate your business. You'd much rather talk about the, the values and the things that, that really make you special and the things that deliver the most benefit to the customer. Is your was your background in business like when your parents talked to you about you know what you wanted to do in the future was it one of those conversations where it's like you need to go to school go to college get a job and then you kind of went into the entrepreneurial space or was it like something that what that you were brought up in in that entrepreneurial background? My mom was a bank teller, so so maybe she and she taught me how to count change before I went to school, so maybe there was a little of that. My dad was a teacher, so we didn't really come from from an entrepreneurial background. I ended up in a car dealership right out of college by accident. It was not something that I'd set out to do, and it um, shows the the importance of of making sure that you you're always looking to do things that you want to do because you might end up doing them for a long time. So I looked for a job in politics. Actually, when I graduated from college, I wanted to do something in public service and maybe run political campaigns or something in government. And it, I was in the midst of a recession when I graduated. This was 1994. That'll date me. And, um, and I, I loved cars and the politician that I had volunteered for in college he owned a Volvo dealership and he asked me if I wanted to join the service department and it was a paying job. And if he had had an envelope business and said, Hey, do you want to go out and sell envelopes for me or whatever? I would have taken, taken anything.
thing because I needed to I needed to leave the home. My my mom was was done with me being at home and, and I needed to go out and get a job. So that's how I ended up in a car dealership. And and completely coincidentally, my brother, who's several years older than I am and, and always uh, he always imagined being a business owner, was working for Ford Motor Company. So by two very different routes, we ended up me in the retail side of the car business and, and him the manufacturer side. And after a few years of work for other people, we, we thought it'd be a good idea to try something ourselves, just like you and your brother. Well, walk me through that because, I mean, you could have chosen a number of different things uh, during during that time and you decided to both go into that car dealership and you said, be careful what you pick because you might end up doing it for a very long time. So, if, you know, take me back to that time where you're deciding on what business that you're going to go into and did you understand that you would be doing it for a long time? Yeah, I think the important thing and and. and each one of these questions, I want to take the opportunity to, to draw out what might be useful to your listeners. And I think that, that what worked for us is that we found ourselves employed and gathering a certain set of skills in that situation. And I recommend that people who are, who are looking to open a business, can you find some way to use the skills and the knowledge and the connections that you already have? So if you're uh, managing a restaurant, for instance... That's, I'm not saying you should, you should open your own restaurant, but, but boy. We might've lost them. I was like, was that me? <laughs> I, I saw you on the, on the edge there a little bit. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, yep. He dropped off. All right. Yep. He and dropped off. Nope. And, it, you're oh, back. There he is. He's oh, back. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Okay. We got you back. This is the, all right, good. Sorry. So this, let me, this is the world of the internet, right? That's yeah, how it works. I mean, it's nice that we can be together across these great distances, but, but yeah, occasionally <laughs> we're going to drop out. Well, let me back up because I don't know where I, where I, um, I, I broke up, but I, I just wanted to emphasize how important it is that, that you go into business if possible with, with skills, network connections that you already have. So to, to abandon those things in a field and try to start something new, there's more risk with that. But if there's some adjacency, even if there's something close, maybe if you're managing a restaurant, you don't want to open up a restaurant, what's something similar to that? Maybe it's a catering business or it's a hospitality business of some sort that's related and you can put to work all of that uh, hard earned knowledge and, and connections that you already have. So when, when you guys decided to start a dealership, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who start dealerships and they go with a small used car lot and kind of work their way up. Um, what was it like getting started with Subaru themselves? I mean, that's, that's a major brand dealership. What, you know, did you have major capital investment to get started? Like what was the process there for people trying to get started in a similar space? Maybe they want to open a garage or maybe they do want to start flipping cars and get into a position where they can maybe own a dealership at some point. We're very fortunate that Subaru has become a major brand and in the six New England states where we do most of our business, it's now the third best-selling brand after Toyota and Honda. So that'll give you some idea. But when we bought it in 1998, it was more like Mitsubishi is now. It was very niche. You didn't see many of them. It uh, it had a small following for people who really loved them, but it wasn't something on on uh, most people's shopping list. And, and over the course of of the couple of decades that we've owned the store, um, you know, SUVs, the, the main product, the, the crossover vehicles that Subaru produces have become very popular 
just in terms of a segment and also the quality of the product is really improved. So anyway, long story short, when we bought the dealership, it was not the Subaru that it is now. Imagine it was more like a Mitsubishi dealership, which is why we could afford it. In fact, it was out of business when we bought it. It had opened in February of 1998. It had closed in August of 1998 and lost half a million dollars in between. So it was very affordable. We bought it for a pittance. I mean, it, it was just... Uh, we knew that, that we were buying basically a, a business that was losing money. <laughs> so we had to turn it around very quickly. And that that was a lot of pressure. We borrowed, just to give you a little bit of the story, we borrowed a few hundred thousand dollars to do it, to get the, the working capital for the business. And we did that on a shoestring. It was barely enough. And then we had to borrow a few million dollars more to buy the vehicles. So it was a, it was a lot of pressure early on. And, and we lived on fear because we knew that that a few bad months and we wouldn't be around. So so we worked very hard and we had to we had to apply a lot of these principles that that we had um, that, that we explore in the book that I explore in the book and describe and we had to get those going very quickly in terms of the the hiring the special hiring process that we use and those kinds of things. Well, let's hover on that fear because it doesn't, you know, if you guys took on a lot of debt, I mean, yes, you, part of it, uh, the large chunk of it had to do with the inventory that you were grabbing for sure. Um, but you did take on some, some debt and you didn't know for sure that it was going to work out. You had faith that it was going to work out, that you were going to put everything you could into it, but the fear doesn't go away and it opens up the doorway to a lot of creativity to make things happen. Uh, and I know there's uh, entrepreneurs out there that, are, are not making that leap or not making that decision because of that fear. So, so don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Yeah, so walk me through what's, what that feeling was like living in fear for I don't know how long you did to get to the point where you were like, okay, this is, this is working now. This is, this is successful. It took us about 10 years to get to that point where I felt like the business was well enough established and and we had paid down the debt for our facility and the other working capital loans that we had that we could survive anything at that point or just about anything. But it was that long. And I, I think, uh, again, to draw out what the lesson I think might be useful to your listeners is that I think if you're going to open up a business, you have to look at it as a long-term commitment. You'd love to, to be the Instagram founders that you know, within three years of, of opening the doors, they sell it to Facebook for a billion dollars. But but that's bottling lightning. I mean, it, it's it's hitting, hitting the Powerball. You don't want to bet on that. It's very unlikely. The, most small and medium-sized businesses just take years to get cranked up. And it's important to go in knowing that. And, and that might have been something that I was a little naive about because several years in, three, four, five, seven years, I was still working a lot of hours and sacrificing a lot in terms of the the time I was I could spend with my wife and and hobbies and things that I would have maybe liked to do rather than staying late at a car dealership every night. It it, it was surprisingly long before it it uh, you know the, the the team was well enough established and and our reputation was known in the community that we didn't have to spend as much advertising and and those things. So it, it does take a while. 
I, I love that when when entrepreneurs share that because that's the that's the hardcore truth of what happens in this entrepreneurial space how much of it had to do with making mistakes along the way because I know that you know when when I get in into a situation where I think okay this is my next strategy and tactic I don't know what the results are going to be I try to learn from what other people have done and I try to not have to reinvent the wheel but I'm gonna make my own mistakes along the way and those mistakes are gonna help shape my overall overall process, my overall procedures. And that's really the time consuming part because you spend the time creating things, you spend the money trying to, trying to implement these things. And then really what we're doing is assessing how well they worked or how well they didn't work and modifying and adapting. Why do we fall, Bruce? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. So how many, how much of that 10 years was falling down and making those mistakes and kind of persevering and pushing through uh, anyway? Oh, it's, it's endless. And, uh, I think it was, was it Hemingway? Uh, it was a well-known writer who said that, that every life when viewed from the inside is just a series of failures. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, we've, we've hit a few home runs and we've done really well, but the, the, the frequency of mistakes in my life was much higher than the number of successes. But, but we understood something is that we never took bets that would, that would risk the farm except the very first time when we opened up. I mean, mm. in, in, in other words, like we, we just don't push our chips to use a poker metaphor into the center of the table all the time. We make small bets and, and we know that, that if, if it comes up, um, in a way that isn't isn't successful, then we're going to learn something from that, and and that's okay. I, th I think business owners get into trouble when they when they get gun shy about making decisions. The trick is make lots of decisions. Just make sure that you're always you know protecting yourself with the risks. So I'll give you an example. Here's one that I like. We had one of our salespeople suggest that we should um, use goats for landscaping because she had heard that a, a local golf course was using goats for landscaping. And we've always tried to operate a, a green facility in, in our business operations, to try to reduce the environmental impacts because we saw vehicles that, that emit carbon and, and have some, some polluting effects in the environment. So at every opportunity, we want to mitigate those. So I was like, well, it, it sounds a little crazy, but whatever. It, it wasn't a few, was a few thousand dollars to try it. And, and it ended up being such a success because not only did all of our team members like it and the customers who heard about it and came by, did, did they appreciate it, but it ended up, uh, when we promoted a little bit in, in the media, it ended up becoming, in, in some cases, a national story. It was picked up by national news outlets because it's just so unexpected that a, a car dealership would use goats to, to uh, landscape the facility. And, and that's the example of the small bets. I, there are other things that we've tried, lots of things like that, that, that didn't work out. But the bets were never so large that, that we couldn't recover from them, uh, from the loss or the, the failure of, the, of that effort. And, and we, at every uh, opportunity, of course, we always learned something. You know, we always found some, even in the failures, we said, all right, well, why didn't this work? And how can we, how can we re repeat this in a way that, that increases the likelihood of success and, and reduces the likelihood of failure? So once you started to get that rolling, how, how long was it before you went into that next venture and pulled those success tools and that experience with you to kind of grow that next business? Was it in that 10 years? Was it after that 10 years? So we opened up 
second dealership, our second business, we opened that up in 2004. So that was six years in. And, and we were still fairly leveraged at that point, And we had to take on additional leverage to, to open up the second. But, but it really didn't get easy until I'm going to say, I mean, it was, it's double digits. It was 10, 11. I'd have to, to think about exactly what year it was, but call it 10, 11, 12 years in. Because then what happens is you're, you're, not, you're not using debt anymore. You have enough cash flow to make things work. So, and the other benefit is that you're well enough established that, that you can spot an opportunity when it comes along. You've been doing this long enough. And we've had, uh, you know, you're in your, you have a network at that point. And, and so we've had people offer us businesses and, and most of them we pass, but, but some of them we've said, Hey, that, that sounds pretty good. Let's, let's try that out. And, and, and because of the experience we have, because of the cash flow, it's, we're in a position to, to jump on that opportunity. I'm your huckleberry. A dealership has a lot of organizational structure involved in it right there's a lot of there's the servicing department there's a sales floor there's the finance department there's a lot of different aspects that go into uh, a functioning dealership when you got into it um how much of that hierarchy were you familiar with and how much of it did you have to develop well we had skills you know my brother was working for ford so he didn't have like retail skills but he was in the car business and and general management skills are applicable to a whole range of different businesses. In my case, I was actually working in a dealership and knew a lot more about the service department because that's where I'd spent most of my time. But but I had paid attention to everything else that was going on in the dealership. I think what, what we learned uh, even before we opened is that with the right people, you can compensate for the success, uh, excuse me, for the, for the skill sets that you don't have. So we came in and, and uh, my brother had not... Uh, had a lot of experience selling anything. And I, I, like I said, had been in the service department, but, but we were able to find good salespeople and good sales managers to help us. And, and I credit that to the, the hiring process that we, we developed we started using it right away. And then it, in over time, we iterated it into the, the system that we use now, because if you have the ability to, to bring in really motivated, conscientious people with good character and, and, um, the ability to, to get the job done. If you can, if you can populate your company with a lot of those and then success is, is going to follow. It's probably not going to happen quickly. And it didn't in our case, but, but those are the people that are going to build it into something durable and, and profitable. You then uh, decided to venture out and become an author. So, I mean, it's one thing to have the experience in the business. It's another thing to become a top-selling author or to write a story that's that helps other people and inspires other people. What was that journey like? When did you decide that I'm going to be an author, I'm going to start my own podcast, I'm going to start to tell this story versus kind of going out and just doing another business and starting something else? Yeah, so... December 13th, uh, 2018, I was in a terrible mountain biking accident and, and was lucky to escape that accident with my life. And that night in the hospital, I was, uh, I was thinking about all the investments that people had made in me over the years, the teachers that had foregone higher paying jobs to, to educate me and my other students and the ancestors that I had, you know, particularly my grandparents and great grandparents that had, that had immigrated to the United States and given up so much to, to 
give us the opportunity, the, the succeeding generations to succeed. And um, uh, it really hit me that night. I was like, wow, I, I have not, I have not uh, returned the favor to society in the way that um, other people have, have invested in me. So I thought that uh, I was immobilized and I couldn't go anywhere. And um, it's like, here's the opportunity. The book had, had been in my head for a long time. The lessons that I learned, something I wanted to commit to paper. And I was surprised at how difficult it is to write a book though. I mean, anybody, you can sit down and write a hundred pages about anything, but, but really I had to write about a thousand pages to get to a hundred good pages. And, and the amount of effort was, was surprising. And I have a whole new appreciation for, for authors now in terms of the creative process and, and the sacrifice they make, because unless you're very well known or, or you have a, a special gift, and I wouldn't say I have either one of those, but if, if you, if you satisfy those two criteria, then, then you may be able to make a living writing, but there's a lot of a lot of content chasing an audience out there right now. So so this this isn't something I did to make money. It's something that I felt like I wanted to to give people maybe some inspiration and the tools to do what we did, which is to not only make a lot of money and, and live a good life for you, but along the way to make sure your business is accomplishing pro-social goals at the same time. Books entities, businesses, these, these all will live on uh, past our own lifetime, right? They're, they're, they're going to live on in perpetuity. They're the legacies that we leave behind. What would you say if, you know, we can fast forward the clock 50 years from now, or we're not in the picture anymore, or maybe, I don't know, maybe we, our minds get uploaded into some uh, future thing later on, who knows? But uh, what is the legacy that you that you hope to have left behind? The message and the the vision that you want other people to see. You know, I might date myself again, but the star, the original Star Trek series, which came out actually before I was born in the nineteen sixties, they they talk about the USS Enterprise pursuing a prime directive, mm-hmm. and the prime directive in the context of the series is to. I forget exactly how they describe it, but it's basically to make contact with, with different peoples and, and to not interfere, basically. To seek to, out to, new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and I like to think that each one of us can, can work through our own values and arrive at some statement like that, the prime directive. And, and for, for me, the prime directive of my life is to make sure that I honor my responsibilities to live up to the trust that other people have in me. And, and so in the context of family, of course, that means I, I need to meet a very high bar in terms of being, you know, emotional, emotionally regulated. So I, I don't cause um, uh, fear or, or get other people upset. In the context of the business, honoring those responsibilities means making sure that I run a business in such a way that that everybody who comes to work there and the customers that come to shop at our businesses, that they they are bettered as people for having met me and known me. And so I think if I die and and people can say that I, I lived well, enjoyed my life, and I also did good. And, and improved my corner of the world and the world was better off for me having been in it, that the net result of my life being lived was that, 
that fewer harms were caused relative to um, to good outcomes being generated, then then that'll check the box. That's that's my that will be my happy obituary. I you know I love the, how you have the the moral high ground. I mean, yes, the play on words, but really it's that. Uh, and I don't want I don't want, really want to call it superior, but but it is a superior mindset. It's the one that says I do the right thing because it's the right thing. It's the personal integrity that one has. And you know, listening to your story today and and your demeanor and the way you present things, it really comes off like you really put humanity and the the greater good in front of you know what you do on a daily basis. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you believe in as far as that moral high ground and what what that actually means to you? Well, let's start with with just a a nuance about that that I think they can go together very well, like in the context of business that that I haven't had that many occasions where I've been on the horns of a dilemma having to decide, is this good for the bottom line or good for my soul? I mean, there have been a few occasions where I've had to wrestle with that, but generally I just believe that if you if you're if you have good values and and you implement those values in your business, that people are gonna want to to be along for that ride. I mean, I think customers are very savvy and I think they can figure out whether you're real or not. They can figure out whether your marketing's real. They can figure out whether your salespeople or your service personnel are are authentic and actually care about good service, or whether they're just trying to to get money out of you. And and I think that that if you if you live your life like that, and your business lives that kind of life, that that there are going to be a lot of people, your team members, customers, members of the community, people in the media, they're going to want to see you keep winning because they mm-hmm. they want to be a part of that. So I think that's that's the way that's the way I look at it. I mean, I don't. I think it would just be cheesy to say, "Oh, well, I, I think <laughs> you know, it'd be." I just want people to do do good. I don't know. They just people should do the right thing, you know, because it's um it's good for their soul and it's good for their bottom line too. In most cases, I mean, like I said, there might be except there are there are rare instances where where the two of them are in conflict. And I've certainly had to write checks, you know, to do the right thing that that I could have said, eh, you know what, let's, let's not do the right thing. It'd be cheaper. But I think in the long run, it is, it is cheaper to do the right thing. Cause when you, when you make, I've seen my uh, management team, for instance, make, they observe me making decisions Mm -hmm. and we have really good people. And I think that one of the reasons why very few of them ever leave is because they want, they want to be around people like me who are willing to to support them and to support the customers and write the hard checks because that's the way we want to be. So I think there's um, there's a flywheel effect here that that you might not see the profitability in this way of living your life, but but it's there. Oh man, we can go into a bunch of different rabbit holes there because uh, you know there's there's a lot of times where. Uh, people believe they're doing the right thing, you know. It, it reminds me of uh, of Thanos, right? Thanos is one one of my one of my favorite villains, you know. This guy right Today here. Today I lost more than you can know. The guy has conviction. He believes what he's doing is the right thing. He believes he's taking the moral high ground. 
but it's not always necessarily the greatest thing for humanity. And, and uh, you know, so so sometimes having that that uh, that idea of what is what is right uh, for, you know, not doing right for right's sake, but what what is right and, and opening that conversation and hearing other people's ideas of what they believe to be right is just as important as doing the right thing, because you know, sometimes our background and who we were raised by and what our ideals are and, and those types of things can can really shape the the decisions that we make in life. So I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing uh, your, your story and what you're doing out there. Because, I mean, again, the success isn't always defined by the dollars. It could be the goats that we hire to do the landscaping that make the difference between keeping those employees long term that want to stick around because you're doing the right thing for the right reasons and developing your tribe. And sometimes it is that bottom line because without the bottom line, you wouldn't be around here 10 years later, 12 years later to uh, be able to share with other people. So thank you very much, Jeff, for coming on the show. Any last minute thoughts? Uh, and before we head out, make sure you let people know how they can get a hold of you and how they can get a copy of your book if they want to work with you. Sure. Just um, at jeffmoral.com. That's J-E-F-F-M-O-R-R-I-L-L. I, I really like to, to hear from readers and listeners. So if anybody has any comments or wants to challenge me on anything that I've said or agree, I'm, I'm happy to hear from them. There are a lot of tools at that, that website that we couldn't fit in the book. A lot of the process documents, the, the things we use every day at the dealership are there. So, so please do um, visit my website and, and, um, and check in with me. I, I do want to leave the listeners with, with one idea, and I talk about it in the book. It's this idea of making sure there's love in your model. And what I mean by that is that human institutions, they, they, really, they really shouldn't be in existence if they can't actually generate positive outcomes for people on the earth. So I, I challenge everyone in their business and their personal life to make sure that, that in the organizations that they're building, that, that love is part of what the purpose is. And if you do that, then then I think, as I said before, it's a it's a profitable way because because that appeals to people and people want to keep you winning when you do that. And it's also it's a, it's a great way to sleep at night too. Oh, I second that one. Uh, I don't want to do anything where I'm looking over my shoulder or where I feel bad because I did it. Like those that you know, happiness is is that progressive realization of that worthy goal. That's how you might define success. At least that's how I heard it in the Earl Nightingale recording. Uh, but it's it's being happy in the process. And I, I 100% agree with you. The greatest joy you can give, uh, you can receive in this world is by giving. Uh, and it, it really helps whether you're giving content away, whether you're giving your ideas, your experiences, giving money or your time, all those different ways that you're giving bring so much joy in your life. And, and that's, I think, the love that you're talking about, filling, you know, being able to do things for other people. And yes, it is a it is a profit driven uh, joy that you can bring as well. There's no reason why you can't make money at the same time doing good things for other people. Jeff. Try to make the world a better place. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Ladies and gents, we'll see you guys again manana. Make sure you guys check out Jeff's stuff, jeffmoral.com. Or uh, what was the website on there, James? Uh, Planet Subaru. That's right, planetsubaru.com. Uh, and if you guys need help with any of your content creation, you guys want content for an entire month, super simple. All you got to do is go to businessbros.biz. Check out all the programs that we have for you content done for you on a monthly basis, testimonials for your customers to be able to sell your product or service for you, uh, all kinds of different cool stuff. Make sure you guys check it out, businessbros.biz, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Peace, and we're out. 
Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the business bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.